Researchers have been studying the factors that influence us to say yes to the requests of others for over 60 years, and there can be no doubt that there's a science to how we are persuaded, and a lot of this science is surprising. When making a decision, it would be nice to think that people consider all the available information in order to guide their thinking, but the reality is very often different. In the increasingly overloaded lives we lead, more than ever, we need shortcuts or rules of thumb to guide our decision-making. My own research has identified just six of these shortcuts as universals that guide human behavior. They are reciprocity, scarcity, authority, consistency, liking, and consensus. Understanding these shortcuts and employing them in an ethical manner can significantly increase the chances that someone will be persuaded by your request. Let's take a closer look at each in turn. So the first universal principle of influence is reciprocity. Simply put, people are obliged to give back to others the form of behavior, gift, or service that they have received first. If a friend invites you to their party, there's an obligation for you to invite them to a future party you are hosting. If a colleague does you a favor, then you owe that colleague a favor. And in the context of a social obligation, people are more likely to say yes to those that they owe. One of the best demonstrations of the principle of reciprocation comes from a series of studies conducted in restaurants. So the last time you visit a restaurant, there's a good chance that the waiter or waitress will have given you a gift, probably at about the same time that they bring your bill, a liqueur perhaps, or a fortune cookie, or perhaps a simple mint. So here's the question. Does the giving of a mint have any influence over how much tip you're going to leave them? Most people will say no, but that mint can make a surprising difference. In the study, giving diners a single mint at the end of their meal typically increased tips by around 3%. Interestingly, if the gift is doubled and two mints are provided, tips don't double. They quadruple, a 14% increase in tips. But perhaps most interestingly of all is the fact that if the waiter provides one mint, starts to walk away from the table, but pauses, turns back, and says, for you nice people, here's an extra mint, tips go through the roof. A 23% increase, influenced not by what was given, but how it was given. So the key to using the principle of reciprocation is to be the first to give and to ensure that what you give is personalized and unexpected. The second universal principle of persuasion is scarcity. Simply put, people want more of those things they can have less of. When British Airways announced in 2003 that they would no longer be operating the twice-daily London-New York Concorde flight because it had become uneconomical to run, sales the very next day took off. Notice that nothing had changed about the Concorde itself. It certainly didn't fly any faster, the service didn't suddenly get better, and the airfare didn't drop. It had simply become a scarce resource, and as a result, people wanted it more. So when it comes to effectively persuading others using the scarcity principle, the science is clear. It's not enough simply to tell people about the benefits they'll gain if they choose your products and services. You'll also need to point out what is unique about your proposition and what they stand to lose if they fail to consider your proposal. 
Our third principle of influence is the principle of authority. The idea that people follow the lead of credible, knowledgeable experts. Physiotherapists, for example, are able to persuade more of their patients to comply with recommended exercise programs if they display their medical diplomas on the walls of their consulting rooms. People are more likely to give change for a parking meter to a complete stranger if that requester wears a uniform rather than casual clothes. What the science is telling us is that it's important to signal to others what makes you a credible, knowledgeable authority before you make your influence attempt. Of course, this can present problems. You can hardly go around telling potential customers how brilliant you are, but you can certainly arrange for someone to do it for you. And surprisingly, the science tells us that it doesn't seem to matter if the person who introduces you is not only connected to you, but also likely to prosper from the introduction themselves. One group of real estate agents were able to increase both the number of property appraisals and the number of subsequent contracts that they wrote by arranging for reception staff who answered customer inquiries to first mention their colleagues' credentials and expertise. So, customers interested in letting a property were told, lettings? Let me connect you with Sandra, who has over 15 years' experience letting properties in this area. Customers who wanted more information about selling properties were told, speak to Peter, our head of sales. He has over 20 years' experience selling properties. I'll put you through now. The impact of this expert introduction led to a 20% rise in the number of appointments and a 15% increase in the number of signed contracts. Not bad for a small change informed from persuasion science that was both ethical and costless to implement. The next principle is consistency. People like to be consistent with the things they have previously said or done. Consistency is activated by looking for and asking for small initial commitments that can be made. In one famous set of studies, researchers found, rather unsurprisingly, that very few people would be willing to erect an unsightly wooden board on their front lawn to support a drive safely campaign in their neighborhood. However, in a similar neighborhood close by, four times as many homeowners indicated that they would be willing to erect this unsightly billboard. Why? Because 10 days previously, they had agreed to place a small postcard in the front window of their home that signaled their support for a Drive Safely campaign. That small card was the initial commitment that led to a 400% increase in a much bigger but still consistent change. So, when seeking to influence using the consistency principle, the detective of influence looks for voluntary, active, and public commitments and ideally gets those commitments in writing. For example, one recent study reduced missed appointments at health centers by 18% simply by asking the patients rather than the staff to write down appointment details on the future appointment card. The fifth principle is the principle of liking. People prefer to say yes to those that they like. But what causes one person to like another? Persuasion science tells us that there are three important factors. We like people who are similar to us. We like people who pay us compliments and we like people who cooperate with us towards mutual goals. As more and more of the interactions that we are having take place online, it might be worth asking whether these factors can be employed 
effectively in, let's say, online negotiations. In a series of negotiation studies carried out between MBA students at two well-known business schools, some groups were told, time is money, get straight down to business. In this group, around 55% were able to come to an agreement. A second group, however, were told, before you begin negotiating, exchange some personal information with each other, identify a similarity you share in common, then begin negotiating. In this group, 90% of them were able to come to successful and agreeable outcomes that were typically worth 18% more to both parties. So to harness this powerful principle of liking, be sure to look for areas of similarity that you share with others and genuine compliments you could give before you get down to business. The final principle is consensus. Especially when they are uncertain, people will look to the actions and behaviors of others to determine their own. You may have noticed that hotels often place a small card in bathrooms that attempt to persuade guests to reuse their towels and linen. Most do this by drawing a guest's attention to the benefits that reuse can have on environmental protection. It turns out that this is a pretty effective strategy, leading to around 35% compliance. But could there be an even more effective way? Well, it turns out that about 75% of people who check into a hotel for four nights or longer will reuse their towels at some point during their stay. So what would happen if we took a lesson from the principle of consensus and simply included that information on the cards and said that 75% of our guests reuse their towels at some time during their stay? So please do so as well. It turns out that when we do this, towel reuse rises by 26%. Now imagine the next time you stay in a hotel, you saw one of these signs. You picked it up and you read the following message. 75% of people who have stayed in this room have reused their towel. What would you think? Well, here's what you might think. I hope they're not the same towels. And like most people, you probably think that this sign will have no influence on your behavior whatsoever. But it turns out that changing just a few words on a sign to honestly point out what comparable previous guests have done was the single most effective message, leading to a 33% increase in reuse. So, the science is telling us that rather than relying on our own ability to persuade others, we can point to what many others are already doing, especially many similar others. So there we have it, six scientifically validated principles of persuasion that provide for small, practical, often costless changes that can lead to big differences in your ability to influence and persuade others in an entirely ethical way. They are the secrets from the science of persuasion. The conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. 
We are governed, our minds are molded, our tastes formed, our ideas suggested, largely by men we have never heard of. In almost every act of our daily lives, whether in the sphere of politics or business, in our social conduct or our ethical thinking, we are dominated by the relatively small number of persons who understand the mental processes and social patterns of the masses. It is they who pull the wires which control the public mind, who harness old social forces and contrive new ways to bind and guide the world. This passage was written by Edward Bernays, the nephew of Sigmund Freud and a pioneering mind behind advertising, modern propaganda, and the field of public relations. Bernays' influence was enormous. Relying heavily on the insights of his uncle, he developed highly successful manipulation techniques which are still used today, not only by companies to sell consumer products, but also by the powers that be to, in the words of Bernays, control and regiment the masses. In this video we'll explore some of Bernays' most intriguing ideas, paying particular attention to his insights on how group psychology can be used to control and manipulate the masses. In his classic work, Group Psychology and the Analysis of the Ego, Sigmund Freud described group psychology as being concerned with the individual man as a member of a race, of a nation, of a caste, of a profession, of an institution, or as a component part of a crowd of people who have been organized into a group at some particular time for some definite purpose. In other words, group psychology attempts to understand how an individual's behavior, thoughts, and emotions change when becoming a part of a group. The tendency of human beings to form groups was selected for in our evolutionary past due to the survival benefits it offered. Ancient humans who organized into tribes were more likely to survive and reproduce in the harsh environments in which they lived. However, with the help of modern technologies, humans today have transformed the environment in a manner which renders the survival value of tribal organization obsolete. But with that said, the ancient and instinctual pull of tribal organization still looms large in the lives of most. With many people today identifying and hence stereotyping both themselves and others based on things such as race, class, gender, nationality, religion, or the political party or ideology to which one adheres. This continued proclivity to engage in group identification is, according to Bernays, a function of the enlarged sense of self-importance that individuals derive from identifying with a potentially powerful mass. Just as the wolf pack is many times as strong as the combined strength of its individual members, so too the individual senses the potential power of the group, and it derives feelings of potency in identifying with it. Beginning in the late 19th century, a number of thinkers, most notably Freud and Gustave Le Bon, attempted to understand why people engage in group identification, and how group identification affects one's mind and behavior. As Bernays noted, the insights that emerged from this study caught the attention of those in positions of power who wanted to expand their control of societies. These people saw the potential of taking the theoretical insights of group psychology and transforming them into practical methods that could be used to manipulate the masses from outside of the public's eye, a task which formed the basis of Bernays' work in public relations. As Bernays explained in his book, Propaganda, the systematic study of mass psychology revealed the potentialities of invisible government of society by manipulation of the motives which actuate man in the group. These studies established that the group has mental characteristics distinct from those of the individual, 
and is motivated by impulses and emotions which cannot be explained on the basis of what we know of individual psychology. So the question naturally arose. If we understand the mechanism and motives of the group mind, is it not possible to control and regiment the masses according to our will without their knowing it? The great potential of using insights from group psychology to control the masses is partly a function of the fact that an individual can be influenced by a group or crowd even when physically isolated. As Bernays pointed out in his book, Crystallizing Public Opinion, a crowd does not mean merely a physical aggregation of a number of persons. The crowd is rather a state of mind. So long as one engages in group identification, their mind and behavior will be changed by the enduring influence of group psychology, even with no other members of the group physically present. To understand how the tendency of human beings to engage in group identification renders the masses manipulable, we must turn to one of Freud's ideas which heavily influenced the manipulation techniques developed by Bernays. In his book Propaganda, published in 1928, Bernays explained, it is chiefly the psychologists of the school of Freud who have pointed out that many of man's thoughts and actions are compensatory substitutes for desires which he has been obliged to suppress. A thing may be desired not for its intrinsic worth or usefulness, but because he has unconsciously come to see in it a symbol of something else, the desire for which he is ashamed to admit to himself. A man buying a car may think he wants it for purposes of locomotion. He may really want it because it is a symbol of social position, an evidence of his success in business, or a means of pleasing his wife. What Freud suggested is that often there is a divorce between one's conscious thoughts and feelings and desires which do not fit with one's self-image and which are therefore suppressed. This fact, Bernays recognized, renders human beings manipulable. For what it implies is that if one can design propaganda or psychological operations that bypass the conscious and rational faculties of the individual, targeting instead suppressed emotions and hidden desires, it is possible to move people to adopt beliefs and behaviors without them being aware of the underlying motivations leading them on. As Bernays explained, men are very largely actuated by motives which they conceal from themselves. It is evident that the successful propagandist must understand the true motives and not be content to accept the reasons which men give for what they do. It is possible, although often difficult, for an individual to become aware of the underlying motives driving their beliefs and actions through honest and critical introspection. However, once one succumbs to the effects of group identification, such critical introspection becomes nearly impossible. A group is extraordinarily credulous and open to influence, wrote Freud. It has no critical faculty. In identifying with a group, the individual subordinates self-analysis and a discerning search for the truth in favor of maintaining group interests and cohesion. And with their critical capacities weakened by the influence of group psychology, they become highly susceptible to psychological operations designed to target suppressed or unconscious desires and emotions. In the modern day, there appears to be forces operating through the mainstream media and popular culture which are attempting to increase the individual's proclivity to engage in certain types of group identification, namely, identifications that divide the population into conflicting groups. This phenomenon has potentially dire consequences for both the stability and freedom of a society, 
as it allows those in power to institute the age-old tactic of divide and conquer. In his book, Discourses on Livy, Machiavelli noted that those who have held power over a population have long realized that a population united is always stronger than those who rule over it, and thus stretching back into ancient times, rulers have sought to divide the many and weaken the force which was strong while it was united through the use of those methods which promote division. By dividing a population along lines such as race, class, religion, gender, or political preference, or in other words, into groups naturally prone to clash, the effects of group psychology render rational discourse and debate between individuals in these separate groups extremely unlikely. Each group, Bernays wrote, considers its own standards ultimate and indisputable, and tends to dismiss all contrary or different standards as indefensible. Unable to settle differences in opinions via rational discourse, groups whose belief structures clash tend to revert to more destructive means in their attempt to defeat those they perceive as a threat. A society dominated by such groups is thus easily divided in increasingly hostile conflict, and as a result, not only does the population as a whole become weakened, as Machiavelli pointed out, but its eyes are diverted away from the actions of those operating behind the scenes who constitute, in the words of Bernays, the invisible government who controls the destinies of millions. While there is nothing wrong with deriving a sense of belonging based on the commonalities we share with others, it is misguided to base our personal identity primarily on our group memberships. In terms of our evolutionary history, it is only fairly recently that we developed the ability to become aware of ourselves as individuals, separate from any group or tribe. This was a crucial development in consciousness, as the existence of a society based on individual rights and personal liberties is dependent on a population which has developed this capacity for individual consciousness, or in other words, on a society of individuals who understand themselves and treat others as individuals first and foremost. As Eric Neumann pointed out in his classic work, The Origins and History of Consciousness, prior to the development of this capacity for individual consciousness, the group and group consciousness were dominant. The individual was not an autonomous, individualized entity with a knowledge, morality, volition, and activity of its own. It functioned solely as a part of the group, and the group, with its superordinate power, was the only real subject. Seen in this light, the proclivity of individuals today to engage in group identification is not only a danger to the freedom and stability of a society, but it is also a regression of consciousness back to a more primitive psychological state, and therefore from the standpoint of modernity, a pathological tendency that needs to be overcome or as Sigmund Freud put it. Each individual has a share in numerous group minds, those of his race, of his class, of his creed, of his nationality, etc. And he can also raise himself above them, to the extent of having a scrap of independence and originality. Engineered Consent For any of you who are not familiar with Edward Bernays, please do yourself, do your family, do your friends a huge favor and just take a minute and Google Edward Bernays. And if you have the time, 
read his books. If you don't, watch some YouTube videos, listen to the clips I just posted. It's very valuable information. It's so important for you to understand what exactly engineered consent is and how it affects you and your loved ones every single day. It affects nearly every decision that you make every minute, every second of the day. It affects what you're eating for dinner tonight. It affects what clothing you're wearing. It affects what car you've driven. It affects what gas station you've gotten the gas for your car. It affects who you voted for, what your political views are. It affects what sports team you like or that you even like group sports to begin with. The formation and the manipulation of the thinking of groups is the number one weapon in democracy. You are being controlled right now. And if you don't educate yourself and make yourself aware of the issue, you will continue to be controlled. We need to break free from this group manipulation so that as a society, we can grow. We need to become smarter, more educated people who can work together as a whole instead of these segregated groups infighting amongst each other. Because we're going to get nowhere fast on our current path. Okay, I'll give you a gold star if you tell me why shout-outs work. Hello there! Working like a woman, this is Michael Conway, the Illuminarch of Illuminarch Podcast Radio. And I just want to say I am so sorry about the toxic relationships that you've had to endure in your business life. And maybe your work life as well. And what you have to kind of remember is the people who are toxic in one place in their world are usually toxic in every place in their world and if we just avoided toxic people maybe herded them off and put them somewhere else we wouldn't have to put up with it uh, we could just have nice people around and maybe that's why uh, uh, Gary Vanderchuk likes to push towards uh, empathy uh, either way I just want you to know that today has been brought to you by waffles pancakes leaving you flat Waffles, the sexy pancake.